0: The title of the message tonight is simply this, When Nothing Makes Sense. And all of us have been through times and seasons in our lives when absolutely nothing made sense. Now, if you picked up one of these handouts tonight, and I hope you did, I want to draw your attention to it. And I want to begin by reading you some of the things that we printed out earlier today. Because tonight, we're talking about a man named Gideon who lived in Old Testament times. He was a timid man but he was a godly man, and God used him in an absolutely unbelievable way. But notice what we've printed here. Gideon came to a place in his life, now watch this, where he did not know why certain things had happened. He didn't know where the power of God was to change his situation, and he didn't know how he was going to make it. There was a lot that he didn't know. Now, think about what Gideon was facing. Here's a situation in his life. We're going to look at it in a moment. He didn't know why God allowed it. He didn't know where God was. Where is the power of God? God, why don't you address this situation and change this situation? Because I know you still have miracle-working power, and yet God wasn't seemingly doing anything about it. And he didn't know how he was going to make it. More than likely, let's just, I want to read you the notes, and then I'll preach the sermon. More than likely you have had times in your life where you have felt like Gideon felt. You had more questions than answers. As followers of God, we don't always know why. We don't always know where. We don't always know when, and we don't always know how, but we do know Him. Now, think about that. A lot of things we don't know. Why, God? Where are you, God? How are we going to make it, God? When is this going to change, God? Is it ever going to change? A lot of unanswered questions as we go down the road of life. But, friend, there's one thing we know. We know Him. And as long as we know Him, we're all right. Additionally, let's just read this. I've never given the whole sermon and then gone to the Bible to back it up. But let me just put it all out there. Additionally, we know that God is with us, that peace is available, and that his promises are true. Now, do you believe that? Say amen. And so what I'm trying to get you to see tonight, in the midst of whatever you might be going through, whatever your family dynamic might be at this time, and you're wondering, God, why? God, where? God, when? God, how? God, are we going to make God so many questions? And God's word to you tonight, you just focus on me. That's what I said earlier about the crowd. We'd be crazy if we got too high when the crowd was big and too low when the crowd is bad. Hey, folks, some things are out of our control. What we have to do is keep our focus on the only thing in our life that will never change, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, If our focus is on him, so much of life is right up here in your mind. It's how you think, and if your focus is on Jesus, your mind is on God, and you're dwelling and thinking and meditating on Him, and instead of viewing the Bible and God through the lens of culture and circumstances, you're viewing culture and circumstances through the lens of the Word of God, then you're going to make it through whatever you face. Now, that said, open your Bibles tonight to the book of Judges, one of the most interesting books in the Bible, one of the least talked about books in the Bible, because it's kind of a... Kind of a depressing book in some ways, really. Let me give you something before we get into Genesis cha- Judges chapter 6 is where we're going tonight. But let me give a little bit of an overview of the entire book of Judges. First of all, Moses had led the people for all those years. He died. After he died, Joshua led the people for many years, and then he died. Moses died at 120. Joshua died at 110. The Bible says that after Joshua died all of the elders, all of the leaders who had been his partners, who had been his associates, they remained faithful to God, and the Israelites remained faithful to God for that entire generation that Joshua ministered in. But when that generation died off, that's when the book of Judges picks up. And in Judges, even though Judges gets off, the book gets off to a good start, if you'll go back to chapter number 1, I'll show you this. It's just a, if you like a Bible study, you're going to like this tonight. the old-fashioned Bible study. Judges chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, "'Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them?' And the Lord said, "'Judah shall go up.'" Judah means praise Judah was one of uh, Jacob's sons, and God said, as you go now deeper into the promised land, as you take on the Canaanites to to, to defeat them and to possess the land that I want you to have, let praise lead you. Let Judah go first. That'd be a good sermon of itself. When we don't know what to do, we're always wise to praise the Lord. So he said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now, I show you that to say, at the beginning of Judges, after Joshua died, First thing the people did, they prayed. And they said, God, what are we supposed to do? And so the book of Judges gets off to a good start, and God gave them very specific instructions. But as we work our way through the book of Judges, we notice a four-stage cycle that repeats itself multiple times throughout the book. And I want to just mention what this cycle is. I learned this well over 26 years ago when I was in seminary in an Old Testament class, professor gave it to me real simply, locked it in my mind, never have forgotten it, and I think you can do the same thing tonight. Here is the four-stage cycle. Number one, I'm going to change the word to make it simple. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. Now, I learned the first word as apostasy, which literally means a turning away from God. Would you prefer tonight the word apostasy or sin? How many of you prefer apostasy? Say amen. Amen. How many prefer sin? Okay, sin wins, okay? It's the first time ever that sin won, but sin won on that. So we have sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. Now, let's see how you can remember that. Sin, S-O-R. The sword, sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. I want you to lock that in your mind. Say it with me. Sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance. Say it again. Okay. So the people would sin, and when they sinned, they began to be oppressed. And these other countries, and tonight we're going to be seeing about the Midianites and how the Midianites came and and fought the Israelites, and it was bad. And when the oppression got bad, the people would repent. And they would turn to God. Oh, God, forgive us. We've not lived right. Please forgive us. They cried out to the Lord. And then the fourth thing that happened, deliverance. God would send a judge. Gideon is one of these judges. And these judges, we think of a judge as uh, someone who sits behind a desk and hears cases and makes rulings. Well, these judges had some of that, but what these judges were primarily doing, they were helping the people to get back right with God, and they were helping to right the wrongs that their sin had led. And so this this four-phase cycle continues to repeat itself throughout the entire book of Judges. Sin, and, and let me say this, in your life and in my life, it's the same thing. Sin always leads to oppression, it leads to problems. It leads to trouble. It leads to heartache. Heartache follows sin as, as surely as night follows day. So sin never leads to anything good. Sin, oppression, hopefully, after we've, if we have sin and fallen into that, we'll repent of that, and then God is always faithful to deliver us of those sins. But I'm saying as you read the book of Judges, that's what you're wanting to watch, that pattern that just continues to reveal itself. Now, go back to chapter number 6 because we see... And I'll show you this this same pattern right here in chapter six, verse one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. So here you see sin and oppression. Now look down in verse number uh, in si- number seven. Well, first of all, verse number six, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse seven, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. Of slavery, And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then God said this, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. We know that the reason the Israelites were, were impoverished, because the Midianites had been going out, the, the Israelites would sow seeds, they would plant things in their garden, and the Midianites would come and just destroy it before it could ever grow up. And so Gideon is afraid of the Midianites, so now he is in a secret place He's threshing wheat in the winepress, hiding from the Midianites. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, I understand this to be Jesus. In my Bible, it is capital angel. It is the pre-incarnate Christ, appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, here's Gideon in a secret place, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appears to him with this message. The Lord is with you, and notice how the angel of the Lord addressed him. He said, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) Well, Gideon wasn't very... Uh, much of a man of valor, it doesn't seem. He seems kind of cowardly. He's in a secret place. He's hiding from the Midianites. But God didn't see who Gideon was. God saw who Gideon could become if he would surrender his life to him. And so God didn't call him what he was. God called him what he was about to make him. He called him a man of valor. That's one of the great sentences in all the Old Testament. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now look in verse 13. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, now here it is. Why then has all this happened to us? I wish you underline that word. Why, why, God? The angel of the Lord just explained. God is with you, and Gideon is looking at the situation, looking what the Midianites are doing to the Israelites. And Gideon said, God, if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? We have all asked that question. God, if you are with me. God, if, if, if you're leading my life, if, if you're directing my steps, if, if you're pleased with me, God, if I'm in your will, if I'm doing what I think's right, why in the world would you allow this to be happening to me in my life? We've all asked that. Look, Read on. And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? And he talks about you know, when the, their ancestors had explained how they had come up out of Egypt. Where, where, where's all this power now, God? This would be like a person who's in love with God, walking in the center of God's will, and they get diagnosed with some horrible disease, and they say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? And they pray to be healed, and they're not healed, And they go on in life, and they see other people who are healed, and they hear other testimonies of healing, and they're thinking, well, how come I'm not being healed? And that's what they're saying. God, why have you allowed this to happen? But then they say, where's this healing power that other people have experienced? Why am I not experiencing the the same miraculous power in my life? Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God seemingly totally ignored what Gideon had said. He didn't answer the question why. He didn't explain where his power had been. He just said, Gideon, I'm sending you on an assignment. I want you to go and rescue Israel from the Midianites. And so you see the four-stage cycle, sin, oppression, repentance. They've repented by now, and God's going to deliver them through the hand of Gideon. And in verse 15, he said to God, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? There was his third question. How how am I going to do this, God? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And so he said, same thing we've all said. God, I don't see how I'm going to make it. Have you been in a situation in your life? I know I have where I not only ask God why, God, why would you let this happen? And I don't know, this doesn't make sense. God, where is your power to to heal or to restore or to solve this or to fix this? God, where is that? And then sometimes we ask this question. I know I've asked this. God, how in the world am I going to do what I believe you've called me to do in the light of these circumstances and these situations? So we've all been there on one level or another. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And so God gets back to where he began with Gideon, not answering his questions, but saying this to Gideon. Gideon, I know there's a lot about this that you don't understand, why, where, how, but doesn't, don't worry about that. All you need to do is to focus on my presence in your life. Somebody here tonight or somebody listening at home needs to hear that tonight. That is, this is the word of the Lord. And if you're going through something tonight and you have more questions and answers, what God is saying to you tonight is don't focus on your questions. Don't focus on what you don't know. Don't focus on what's not working out focus on my presence in your life. And that's what God continued to say to Gideon. Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. In other words, Gideon, you're going to be victorious. And that's another thing God says to us is that if we'll trust him, eventually we'll be victorious. Let me give you a scripture verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. I quote this verse six days a week to God. It's one of the verses I quote. I have a large number of verses that I Quote, but this is one of them, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. And so I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I know this. God is with you, and you are on the road to victory, even if it seems like you're on the road to defeat. No, he always leads us in triumph. Now, in verse 23, Gideon and God, and the angel of the Lord, rather, Whether this is Jesus or not, we'll find out for sure when we get to heaven, but Gideon and this angel continue their conversation together, and in verse number 23, now the angel has departed from Gideon, and so now for sure it is God who is speaking to him, and again, I think it was God all along, but in verse 23, it says, then the Lord said to him, now I'm going to read this verse, and this may be the word of God for you tonight. Peace be with you do not fear, you shall not die. Judges 6.23 is one of the great verses in the Old Testament. Three phrases, three, promise, three things God said, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Say that with me. Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. And so Gideon was naturally thinking, God, as I go to try to lead the people to fight these Midianites who are stronger than we are, There's no way that we're going to have victory. I'll probably be killed out there in the battle. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Now, after God had spoken that, verse 24 says, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace, Jehovah Shalom. And to this day, or to the day when they wrote that, uh, that's what it was still called. And so, God has a word of peace, and He says, Do not fear, for you shall not die. Now, When you're reading your Bible every day, and I hope you read it every day, but when you read your Bible, let's just play like today that you, in your Bible reading, you were reading Judges chapter 6, because this was my Bible reading yesterday. I was planning on preaching a sermon tonight out of 1 Kings about how Naaman was healed of leprosy. I already had it ready. I knew exactly what I was going to say. Yesterday, I read Judges chapter 6, and it spoke to my heart. I woke up this morning. Judges chapter 6 was on my mind, and everything you see on this handout, God gave me this before I ever got out of bed. And so I said, I'm going to read Judges chapter 6 again today. I read it again, and I'm gripped with it, and I'll have to come back and deal with Naaman's leprosy some other time. But the point I'm trying to make is when you read your Bible every day, and you come across a verse like verse 23, the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Now, one of two things is going to happen when you read a verse like that. Either you're going to just read right over it and go on to the rest of the story. And in your mind, when you read that, you're not thinking about you or anybody else. You're, think, you're reading the story. You're thinking about Gideon. You're thinking about Gideon being scared and what he was facing and how God spoke to him. And God said to Gideon, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die and you just keep reading. And that's fine. That's, that's one of the two things that could happen when you read this. The second thing that could happen when you read this is that God, Now this is interesting, that God could take that verse that he spoke thousands of years ago to Gideon, and God, through his Holy Spirit, could, as the old preachers would say, quicken your heart as we might say today, God might take that verse and apply it to your heart, rivet it to your situation, so that when you read that, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. It is as though God takes that verse, those, that promise that he made to Gideon, and his Holy Spirit applies that to you. And so now, if that happens, you're not thinking about Gideon. You're thinking about you. Let's play like tomorrow morning that you're going to the medical center and you're having surgery, life or death surgery. Or maybe not life or death, but it's certainly serious and you're nervous about it naturally. And so today you read Judges 6 and you came to that verse and you read it. Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall die. The Holy Spirit may choose, he may not. If you just read over it, he chose not to. But when you read it, if it grips you, And it's like that jumps off the pages, and you know in your heart that is God's Word to you. God is personalizing that Word to you. God would take that, and through that verse, God might do one of two things. God might say, first of all, tomorrow you're going to the medical center, and you're having a serious surgery, and I just want you to know before you go to that surgery, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. You're not going to die. And the Holy Spirit may say this to your spirit. See, this is why the Bible is unlike any other book in the world. It's living. And so when you pick up your Bible and begin to read the Bible, you're reading a book that has life. You're reading a book that has a pulse. You're reading a book that if you took a pair of scissors and cut it, it would bleed because there's life in this book. But when you're reading the Word of God, you also have the Spirit of God in your heart. You're saved. You have the Spirit of God. And so he's taking a book that is already alive, and he is applying that word to your heart and to your situation. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the newspaper or the magazines or some other books. You should. We should be well-rounded and well-read. But I'm saying this. You don't have another book in your library at home like the Bible. And so when you open up and read a verse like that, this book's already alive. The Holy Spirit takes that and rivets it to your heart. He'll do one of two things. God would say this. Tomorrow as you go to St. Luke's for surgery, remember this. Peace. Peace don't be afraid. I'm with you. And whatever happens in the operating room, even if your body dies, you will not die because you're not a body, you're a soul. Bodies die, souls never die. And so either way it goes, it's a win-win situation. They've rolled me into the operating room before, and that's been my mindset. God, I can remember one time going into an operating room. Was I nervous? Well, I had been a little nervous, but I can't say I was nervous at that moment. Honestly, I can't. Because God flooded my soul with peace. Perfect peace being rolled into an operating room with perfect peace. And this was before they gave me the anesthesia. So it wasn't the anesthesia that gave me peace. It was God who gave me peace. And I remember saying this to God. They rolled me down. I said, God, I'm going to wake up from this surgery in one of two places. I'm going to either either wake up in the recovery room or I'm going to wake up in heaven. But wherever I wake up, you're going to be right there with me. Now, that's how to go into surgery. So, God may take this verse and do something like that and say, whatever way it goes tomorrow, you're not going to die. But you know what God may also do? This is the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is God living on the inside of you, taking His Word that is already alive. And God may say something even stronger than that. God may say to you, peace be to you. Do not fear. You're not going to die. Tomorrow in surgery, you will not die. Not you're not dying physically. Certainly we're never dying, but it, God may just make it more personal and say, "You're not going to die physically." We had a man in our church tell you this story years ago. And he had gone to patients' hospital one day to visit his mother, and while he was there, he began to feel lightheaded. And so the nurse was in the room checking on the man's mother, and he said to her, he didn't look right, he was clammy, and his, skin, his color wasn't right, and she noticed that. And she said, sir, you don't look right. He said, I don't feel well. She said, let me take your blood pressure. She took his blood pressure. It was through the roof. She said, sir, we have to get you to the emergency room. So they got him in a wheelchair, took him to the emergency room, began to run their test. This is Patients Hospital here in Pasadena. And they said, you have a serious, we don't know how serious, but you've got a heart situation going on. Well, a day or two later, they did a heart catheterization, found out he had severe blockage, and they said, you need open, you need major surgery, but we don't do what you need here. You've got to go to, I believe he went to Methodist Hospital. And so they got him in an ambulance. They took him to Methodist Hospital, and I never saw him while he was in either hospital, but I talked to him on the phone multiple times. And in one of, on one of the days I talked to him, I had read Judges chapter 6 in verse 23 that day. And when I read the verse, immediately in my mind, I thought about that man. Well, I was talking to him on the phone before he had his surgery, and I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something interesting that happened to me today. And I, by the way, I'll say this to you. I would not normally do this unless I really felt like I was on target But I I felt like I was on target, and I felt like I was close enough to him that I could say it. And so I said to him, his name's Johnny. I said, Johnny, today when I read something in the Bible, immediately your your name came to my mind. And I believe I have a word from God for you. Now, I don't do that very much because we're human, and sometimes we think, you know, sometimes we get excited, and we think. So he had to be very careful on that. And even with him, I softened it, and I said, I think, because that's, you know, I said, I think I have a word from God for you. He said, well, John, I need anything that's related to God because here I'm facing surgery and I'm a little nervous and so on. And I told him about this verse, and I read the verse, or quoted the verse to him. I said, Johnny, I read it today. You came to mind, and I believe with all my heart that this is the word from God for you. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And I just am saying to you... As best as I understand the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God, applying it to my heart, and speaking to me in a very practical way, you're not going to die during this surgery. You're going to survive the surgery, be fine, come through it, and live a long life. That's been many years ago. Last Sunday morning, I look out here in the first service. He's sitting right over there with his wife, healthy as he can be. Now, what I'm saying to you is... Every time you read the Bible, don't be looking for something like that. But every time you read the Bible, be aware you could experience something like that, because you are reading a book that is already alive, and the Holy Spirit of God can take these words that were God spoke to Gideon or to other people through the years. I was sharing my, with my mother a story, a situation today, very similar to that. I read a verse. Now, when I told y'all, I'm telling y'all Easter. It's Easter Sunday, man. I'm giving you stuff on. This is Easter Sunday material that I'm putting out there tonight. On October the third, my birthday is on October the second. On put that down on your calendar, by the way. Put that on October the third of 2001, the day after my birthday. I was driving down Fairmont Parkway from um, a car dealer from Firestone Car Place back to the church very concerned about things. And as clearly as I know the voice of God, he spoke to me and, said, and gave me a, a Bible verse for me. I didn't even know where the Bible verse was in the Bible. I came to church. I looked it up. It was Isaiah 54, 17, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And God said to me through, this is my word for you. I knew it. A few weeks ago on October the 3rd, this is 20 years later, 20 years later, I'm reading my Bible the day after my birthday, and I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 31. That was just my reading for the day. And I, mean, I can't say this without getting emotional because of how, how real it was to me. And I've got the date in here right now. i pre- I never preached a sermon out of this Bible. This is the Bible I read from at home. But I'm, bring- I'm tonight it's so marked up, I brought it out here. But in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, I read this. God is speaking, and, and, and to... Uh, Moses is speaking to Joshua and so on, but here's what he said. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. I read that verse, and that's why I'm saying a minute ago, God, the Spirit will quicken that My dad's, I think, going to be mentioning a rhema word on Sunday. I've tried to shy away from that word tonight because he's going to use that on Sunday. He was telling me that earlier this week. But that's what it is. It is God taking a word of Scripture and applying it to your heart. And when I read that the other night, it was like God said to me 20 years ago today, I gave you a word. And that, he's given me other words, but that has been a major part of your life for the, net, for the last 20 years. And now to the day, 20 years later, I'm giving you a word, and I assume for the next 20 years. And, you know, we'll see if I live that long. And if I do, I hope and pray that I do. Maybe... Uh, in 20 years, he'd give me a word for the next 20 years. But I, for however long, I just felt like this, whether it's 20 years or however long, I just feel like for me, for the next season of my life, God has given me a word that will be what? That will be the rudder of the ship of my life, that God, through that word, has told me what to do. 20 years ago, God gave me a word coming down that Fairmont Parkway. Here's my word for you. You believe it or not. If you believe it, you're going to make it. If you don't, you won't. I believe that I made it by God's grace. 20 years later, same thing. Here is the word that I have for you. And so I'm saying that to you tonight to say when you read the Bible, you need to be knowing that God is speaking, and God could take this verse to you tonight. Peace be with you. Now, we know that's what God says to all of us, no matter what happens. Pete, Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He didn't say, In this world you'll have no trouble. He said, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And here's God saying the same thing to Gideon. Peace be with you. Listen, friend, peace is not dependent upon a desired outcome. Peace is dependent upon the presence of God. We pray for good outcomes. We believe for good outcomes, but we don't put all our eggs in that basket. We put our eggs in God's basket, and we say, God, I'm trusting you, and so long as I trust you, I'll have peace. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You don't have to be afraid. Fear is a horrible thing. It's a paralyzing thing. And then he says, you shall not die. Now, I want to show you one other verse. You still listen? Say amen. Go to verse 34 because now Gideon and God are kind of coming to the end of their conversation and uh, Gideon is about to uh, lead his men into battle beginning the next chapter. We're not going to go into that tonight. But in verse 34, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now, you might just read that or read right over it. Do you know what that literally means in the Hebrew when it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon? It means that God came into Gideon, and God wore Gideon like a suit of clothes. God wore Gideon. God came into Gideon, and God. The, it's not just the Spirit of the Lord came on him. It's in a, that, in, that, that, that the Spirit of the Lord came in him, and now he is wearing Gideon. Gideon was on the outside, but God was on the inside. And it says to us in life, and especially in the battles of life, it's not the man. It's God in the man. It's not the woman. It's God in the woman. And that's what God, Gideon had. He had God in him. Now, look in verse 36, because this is a part of the story you might be familiar with. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but all the ground, let let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, God had told Gideon that he was going to defeat the Midianites. And yet Gideon was having a hard time just believing what God said. He needed a confirmation. He needed a sign. Now, I will say this about we get the expression throwing out a fleece. A fleece is like a piece of wool. But we get the expression throwing out a fleece. God, if you want me to do something, I'm I'm going to ask you, you know, I'm throwing out a fleece. I'm asking you to confirm that. That's a bad idea. That is is not something the Bible would teach us to do, and yet Gideon did that here. It's interesting to me that Gideon was not reprimanded by God for doing it, and the reason, I believe, is because God knew Gideon's heart. Certainly, we know that, and God knew that in Gideon's heart, there was a desire to trust God, and yet he was weak and fearful and afraid, and he needed a confirmation. And so in this case, God, God honored his request. But go back to verse 36. I'm going to show you this, and then we'll stop. Here was the mistake Gideon made. Even though God didn't get on to him, this was still, what Gideon did was still not what he should have done. And here's how I know that. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. What was Gideon saying? Gideon was saying, God, if what you said is true, confirm it to me. How much better would Gideon have been to say, God, I know what you said is true, and I don't need a confirmation. Now, listen, friends, sometime in life when we're trying to make decisions, we do need confirmations because it's not spelled out for us plainly in the Bible. But hear me on this. When you read a promise from God, you don't need a confirmation as to whether or not that promise is true. If God said it, it is true. When God gave me a word 20 years ago, the day after my birthday, I didn't need nor did I look for a confirmation. I knew I had a word from God. Same thing with this Deuteronomy 31 passage. I knew I had a word from God. Same thing with Judges 6 For my friend. Peace be to you. Do not fear, for you shall not die. When God gives you a word, you know that it's true. And what we have to do is just get to a place in our life where we say, God, I believe it. I don't see it. I don't see how it's going to work out. I don't feel it. Let me just throw this out there tonight since I'm trying to do Easter Sunday morning on a rainy Wednesday night. Sometimes in your life, God will remove from you the awareness of, your, of His presence, the feelings that you sometimes have when you know that God is with you. Sometimes God removes... Let me say it another way. Sometimes in my life, the presence of God is so real to me, I can almost see him, and I can almost touch him. So, sometimes when I come up here to preach, God is so real, I'm just thinking, God, this is not even going to be hard. This is just you, just, you're in me, and what you've got to say is fixing to come out, and I'm just going to stand up there and be a, be a uh, an, you're in. It's not even going to be. Other times in prayer, in Bible reading, and even in preaching, I may not feel the power and presence and nearness of God like I do at other times. You know what I've learned about that? Sometimes God will remove from us those feelings of intimacy so that we won't trust the feelings, but so that we will only trust God. Jody, I heard Jody and my dad talking right before I came out here. I was standing Jody behind the door, and I listened to that. (laughs) Thinking about your mom, thinking about your dad, thinking about you. And I thought, you know, they're in a situation right now. They got a lot of whys, God. Where, where are you, God? How are we going to make? Listen, if they were trying to walk through this, saying, "Oh, in order for me to trust God, I have to have the feelings that I sometimes get at church when they preach or sing one of my favorite songs or or preach a really moving," God, I got to have those feelings. They would sink. Because sometimes in our Christian life, we don't feel anything. And when that happens, what is God doing doing for us? God is weaning us away from those feelings so that we will trust him whether we feel anything or not. You see, Gideon had a word from God but he needed more. He needed a confirming sign, but notice when he got that sign, he still needed another sign, so he had to do it the opposite way and do it again. Sometimes we have a word from God, but we say, God, I need more. I need a sign. I need a confirmation. I need a feeling. God says to us, listen to me, you have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have the trustworthiness of every promise I've ever made for the last thousands of years. I've never broken a promise. Everything I've said has always come true and always will. God is saying tonight, this is my word. You don't need a confirmation. You don't need a wet fleece, a dry fleece, or any feeling. All you need is to take God at his word. When I was in seminary, one of my professors, Dr. Roy Fish, who used to be the interim pastor of this church before my dad became pastor, Dr. Fish said to us, He said, guys, a bunch of young preacher boys in that class, he said, you've probably seen the bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. He said, let me tell you something. God said it, and that settles it whether you believe it or not. But he said this, in order for it to be settled in your heart, you've got to believe it.